They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore, and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, J.T. Crowley. Hello, and welcome to Podcast 13. Before I actually go on to do this podcast, I would just like to thank you, the hundreds of viewers, listeners that tune in every week to listen to my podcast. A huge thank you to you. I really appreciate that. It means an awful lot to me. What I also say is keep listening because there's still more stories and podcasts to come. Anyway, thank you again. Last week, I took you to Davos with Emerita and her Swiss dog, her St. Bernard dog, Gretel. I hope you enjoyed that little story. And I said to you at the very end of that podcast that I'll be taking you to Syria. And it is here, this podcast, that I'm taking you to Syria. And here we're going to meet Zahid and Saif. Now, the book's been out for a couple of years now, and when I go on my craft stalls and go to schools and events, quite a few people have said to me that this story really isn't an appropriate children's story and it shouldn't be in the book. And I, I answer that by saying, yes, it should be in the book. But the issue that a lot of people have with this story is that it's a very sensitive, emotional story because it's about the two boys on, you know, as refugees getting onto the boats and escaping a war-torn Syria. And I am fully aware that some parents think that, no, this is just a little bit too much for some kids and they don't need to you know, look at this area at the moment. Yes, they are aware of it. But I say, no, it's just as important because all my characters have said right at the very start, some are rich, some are poor, some have a learning disability, um, some come from war-torn countries. And this is my character, say, from the war-torn country. It's important because lots of children around the world face... um, the situation. They're refugees. They face the most daunting, insurmountable issues. Um, you know, oh, facing scenarios where they have to flee their own homeland for safety. And so I thought it was important to put this story in. And I did. But anyway, there you go. I thought I'd cover that off. Um, The, it is, you know, as I say, it's a very sensitive and a heartwarming story. And it, I've, the, the two boys, they are from Aleppo in Syria. And they are, how should I say, orphaned. And, and Zahid, actually, I gave him muscular dystrophy. And Saif is the elder of the two brothers. And the story is all about how they um, get out of Aleppo through the people traffickers 
um, through into Turkey and onto the, the boats and into Europe. And this is what this story is about. It's, as I said, it's a very heartwarming, it's a very sensitive, it's a very emotional. And for me at times when I was writing it, it was a bit of a tearjerker. And I've always said to people, um, you know, kids, um, anybody, that when you write a story, if you don't put emotion into it, if you don't get yourself involved in with it, it doesn't come across to the reader. And that is very important. So I make no excuse for this one. It's an emotional one and it's a heartfelt one. With that in mind, would you like to hear the story? Well, I say that every week, don't I? But I'm going to read the part of the story. And at the end of it, I normally say I'm going to ask you a question. Well, I'm not going to do that this week, but I'm going to ask you a thought. And I think that is sufficient. But let's read the story to start with and take it from there. Safe sat alongside his brother Zahid. The once small backstreet cafe in Aleppo had been the life and soul of the neighbourhood. But all that remained now was a bombed-out shell, much like all the buildings that once stood proudly on that street. A layer of dust covered the red plastic tablecloth and the purple chairs. Last night's air raids had been particularly bad. The Russian fighter jets tore up the night sky, dropping their bombs indiscriminately. The devastation was clear to see as great plumes of smoke still billowed high above the city. Saif could hear the ambulance sirens still wailing in the background, no doubt taking people to what remained of the various city hospitals. The Syrian war was now in its fifth year, and like many children of his and Zahi's age, the conflict had left its mark. Their parents had been killed years ago, leaving the two brothers to survive on the streets of Aleppo amidst the bombs and the bullets. Saif being the elder of the two, now twelve, had always felt responsible for his younger brother, who from the age of two had developed muscular dystrophy and was now wheelchair-bound. The street shelter they had lived in for the last few months with other abandoned street kids had taken a direct hit the other night. The shelter that was home for himself and Zahid was ruined, beyond recognition. Many of his friends had died that night. He and Zahid only survived by sleeping in their usual place under the old concrete block, supported by stones that acted as legs, creating a kind of table. The table took the brunt of the falling masonry. Dazed and badly wounded, the emergency services managed to pull him and Zahid out alive. Saif remembered sitting in the back of the ambulance, covered in blood and debris, looking at the large gash in his brother's right leg. He equally called to mind the screaming of other children everywhere in the hospital corridors, waiting for attention. He recalled running round desperately, trying to get the nurse's attention, begging, screaming at them to look at Zahid's leg. He knew without immediate help, Zahid would have bled to death in hours. Two things street life had taught Saif. Look after number one, and fight hard to protect what little you had. The little bombed-out cafe had been home for the last two days, having been patched up by the medical staff at the hospital 
and turfed out back onto the streets. For Zahid, being eight, life was extremely challenging living in a war-torn country and having to cope with his condition, which now confined him to a wheelchair. Life was tough. But like Saif, he too had learned the art of surviving the streets of Aleppo. He knew living off people's sympathy alone would get him nowhere in life. Drawing on his wits, he spotted the other night in the hospital a battered old wheelchair that an old lady had got out of to go to the toilet. Scraping himself along the floor and dragging himself into the chair, he shouted at safe, and within minutes, the two brothers had scarpered out of the hospital, vanishing down the back streets into thin air. Zahid looked up to see what was making the loud rumbling noise that was also shaking the buildings along the street. To his astonishment, it was a Syrian armoured tank. The tank he was used to seeing prowling around the streets of his city, Aleppo. But what surprised him was the fact it was driven and controlled by a group of teenage youths. It rumbled past the two brothers, and the three heavily armed, spotty-faced boys that sat on the top of the tank waved, as if acknowledging Saif and Sahid. Within minutes, the armoured tank came to an abrupt stop. The youths jumped down from the tank, and two more crawled out from the tanks in a belly. Zahid shouted at Saif to push him down the street to where the tank had stopped. To both brothers' shock, they watched the lads strip off and jump into what appeared to be a small crater filled with fresh water. Saif acknowledged the look on Sahi's face. Both of them knew the streets round here like the back of their hands and couldn't recall seeing this pool before. Instantaneously, Saif jumped into the water crater. Having carefully removed his bandages, Zahid simply sat and watched all the frolickings of enjoyment. It was good to see Saif having a few moments of fun, plus like himself, Zahid was beginning to stink and a good wash wouldn't go amiss. He only wished he could join them. Zahid was amazed to see the guys that brought along their own shower gel. A couple of the lads had clambered out of the small crater and started to remove the scraps of clothes he was wearing, gently picking him up and lowering him into the others, taking care to ensure his heavily bandaged right leg was held high to ensure it was kept dry. The so-called bath was a welcome relief. But, as the others drove off in the armoured tank, Saif had worked out that the hole must have been created by one of last night's bombs that hit the city, and that the explosion had ruptured a main water pipe, filling the hole nicely and creating the small public swimming bath. The day was hotting up. Both Saif and Sahid knew their wet bodies would soon dry out with the day's heat, so quickly threw on the rags they had for clothes. Saif noticed a piece of paper tucked under the cushion of Sahid's newly acquired chair. Pulling it from under his brother, Saif quickly read the message. Payment received. Alatroshk Mosque, front steps, Friday. That's a little clip of the story, and you'll see why, how significant the note was um, on the wheelchair, and what the payment was all about. 
And when you are in these um, scenario situations, as the two boys and the story says, you have to live by your wits. And they were street kids. And they had to look after number one and each other. So, and then this is what they were doing. So they took advantage of, of the wheelchair because Saif had lost his wheelchair. So when another one unfortunately came available, they cheekily got into it, nicked it and ran off. <laughs> That's just the way of life. And like many of my stories, um, I say to you all the time, well, how and, you know, why did I write the story? Well, how did the story come about? Well, the story really came about when I was watching the television. And I don't know if you can remember, guys, there was the images of a little three-year-old boy, Syrian boy, who was washed up on the beaches of a Greek island. And the images went all around the world. And it was that image that made me think about what must it be like to be in their position, you know, so desperate to put your life on risk to go on and see rough seas in a small dinghy? And I then thought, I need to um, write a story about this. So that's how the story really came back. It was watching the television of that little boy who got washed up on the beach, um, three years old, and the um, Greek authorities just picking his body off the beach. Why did I write the story? I think I've probably already covered this off in the podcast. I felt it was important that when I um, do all the stories, you know, the 17 kids, they're all different. And I said to you, some are rich, some are poor, some come from war-torn countries. They all face different things. And I think it was important to put this character in safe with his brother, Zahid. Because kids need to know that kids from different parts of the world experience so many different things. And if you're living in a rich part of the world, then you're very fortunate, like you know, ourselves here in the UK or America or Canada or in Europe. But there are lots of kids around different parts of the world who face different things, experience different things, and really come up against unsurmountable challenges. So I put the character in to tell the story of the refugee boys, how they got themselves out of Aleppo through the people traffickers, those dreadful people who really don't care about things except for the money. And how the two boys put their lives on risk to cross the sea to get to Greece. And when you read the, the rest of the story, you'll see it didn't go smoothly. I'm not going to say how it finished, because I want you to go and read the story. You want to have a look for yourself. But that's the reason why I wrote the story. Now, I said to you, I wasn't going to ask you any questions like I did last time, but I have a thought for you. Um, and that thought I really want you to seriously think about is... What would you do or how would you react if you were a refugee and how would you cope with it? How would you face the daunting task of getting on a rubber dinghy in a crowded rubber dinghy and sailing across the rough sea knowing that you might not be alive at the end of it? And, you know, 
leaving your homeland because you're forced to do so through poverty, um, through um, other scenarios, you know, a war, and going to a foreign land that you know nobody, you don't know the language. So how would you feel and what do you think that would be like for you? I know for me, I don't know if I could do that. So can you just imagine what it's like, kids? 12-year-old and an 8-year-old having to do that because they do. And we see the pictures on the television. So have a think about that, guys. Well, by now you should have 13 stickers on your wall, your map on your wall. Because this one is Syria. Um, next week, I'm going to take you to Canada. Uh, to be Quebec, to be precise. And it's here that we're going to uh, meet Malena. Now, she's quite, uh, this is quite a wealthy family where she comes from, but um, it's a family that has been broken up due to unforeseen circumstances. And lots of families face this, lots of kids face this. So this is, again, another story about a different um, issue that children face in the world today. It leaves me, as I say most weeks, simply saying thank you for listening. And so wherever you are in the world, listening, watching, this is JT Crowley signing off. And I wish you all well and stay safe. And next week, as I've said, I will see you in Canada. Bye for now. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Smart Kids. Want to follow more of their adventures? Check out The Smart Kids by J.T. Crowley on Amazon.com now.